We might be reluctant to admit it, but most of us want to be better at prayer. If there is any quality that we like to ascribe to people that we would consider to be super Christians, whatever that means, we think that they know how to pray, whereas most of the time we struggle. We know it's something we ought to do more of. We hear all the time that people are praying for us, and on occasion we tell them that we are praying for them. I mean, we can hardly imagine a person calling themselves a Christian without that person believing, and at least in some way, that their prayer makes a difference. Yet here we are, still feeling like we can do better at prayer. It's not for lack of trying. Most of the time we close our eyes. Sometimes we bow our heads. On occasion we even fold our hands, thinking that such physical gestures matter. And of course we use words. We always use words when we pray, trying to figure out what the right words are so that we don't use the wrong words, words after words after words. With all the while, the words that we really hear are the words of a little old voice in the back of our head, a a recording that continues to play all the while that we're praying, says, what makes you think you're doing this right? What difference do you really think this makes? Or everyone else seems to have figured out this prayer thing. What's wrong with you? And so it goes. And then to make matters worse, we get to today's sermon. The fourth mark out of the five, as Sally shared with you. This five-week series that takes us from the ashes of Ash Wednesday to the action of Holy Week. And each week we get a different part of Christian character. Five characteristics that mark the devout Christian. And here we are to mark number four. And John Wesley says that we are to pray constantly. Dang it. As if the verb weren't hard enough. I mean, we struggle alone with praying, but then the adverb makes it just downright impossible, at least unrealistic. How do we pray and do it constantly? It's the question that must have plagued the disciples in the scripture reading from today that Cecilia just read. In other gospels, the disciples are the ones who initiate the conversation. They go to Jesus and they say, Lord, teach us to pray. But here in Matthew, it's Jesus who initiates the conversation by telling them how not to pray. And then he takes a swipe at one of his favorite targets throughout the Gospels and points out the Pharisees and says, whatever you do, don't pray like them. You know, it's interesting that throughout the entire Gospel, there is not a single instance in which we overhear a disciple praying. We don't hear how they're praying. We see Jesus pray all the time. 
Jesus is praying left and right. We know how he prays, when he prays. We know what words he uses. But the disciples, total silence. They must have prayed. But how? And so that becomes our question, isn't it? Our question is, how does a disciple pray? How should you and I pray? And then how in the world should we do it constantly? That was a question that was posed to me earlier this week by a parishioner, a church member here in this congregation, a person who, by and large, is as faithful and committed and devoted a Christian as we have here at Hyde Park. So it surprised me that one of the reasons he wanted to talk to me was to admit to me in this conversation that he was having some trouble with his prayer life. Now, he gave me permission to share this conversation with you because it was so surprising. But at the end, not really surprising because he's not alone. He said, you know, I think I've got a good handle on all of the other spiritual disciplines. I read my Bible every day. I'm in a small group. I never miss worship. I tie the percentage of my income and give it back to God. I'm a witness and an evangelist. I, I talk to people outside the church. I share with them God's love. But prayer, of all the disciplines, prayer is the one that I struggle with the most. I said, how do I pray? How can I do it better? I thanked him for his candor, for his honesty. And then I assured him that he was not alone just so happened that today's sermon was going to be talking to a crowd full of people in the sanctuary who I suspect, by and large, would say the same thing. With all the disciplines, prayer really can be the one that trips us up the most. So what do we do? I then told him that I'd like to have a different starting point in the answer than what we might expect. The place where I want to start is not by talking about the mechanics of prayer, although it's tempting to start there, how you're supposed to pray, when you're supposed to pray, what words you're supposed to use when you pray. Maybe the primary question, maybe the deeper question, is not how we pray, but to whom we are praying to think about this God that we are praying to. Who is this God that you're praying to, I asked him. In other words, what is the image you have of this God to whom you are praying? That makes a big difference. Because if your image of God is that God is some old man with a big long gray beard and a, and a chiseled nose and sitting there with a stern look on his face, with a scepter in his hand, sitting on a throne high in the heavens, then it's like you're addressing royalty, and you better be careful of the words you use. The words you use to talk to this God better be high and mighty words, flourished words, regal words. You're talking to royalty. You better, you better use King James words 
when you're talking to this God. But what happens if those words escape you? What happens if you don't know a lot of regal and royal words? What happens if you don't know how to talk in that way? Well, then you enter into what I want to call a season of drought in your prayer. I think that's what my friend has been going through. That's what a lot of us go through, a season of drought in our prayer. So what if your image of God is something else? What if your image instead is that God is like a giant vending machine or like a cosmic butler that's there to give you what you ask for when you ask of it? Well, then your prayer becomes something else, doesn't it? It becomes a laundry list of requests. And your prayer then becomes nothing more than punching the right buttons, making the right selection, finding the right change so that this vending machine, so that this butler can give you what you want. But what happens when you don't get what you pray for? Then you enter into a season of drought in your prayer life. So what if your image of God is something else? What if your preferred image instead is like God is like a friend, just a regular old person that's sitting there in a chair next to you that you look at and that you talk to and that you make sure that you use words that are clear enough so that this God can hear you as plainly and as clearly as you can hear me. Not highfalutin language, just plain spoken language, just ordinary language like you're talking to a friend. What if God's image for you is that God is just a companion on your journey? Well, that's great, except... What happens when you can't hear God's voice in return? Or what if it feels like God is not talking back to you like a good friend should? What happens if your hearing goes deaf and you can't hear this voice of God speaking back to you? Well, then you enter a season of drought in your prayer life. If you're in a period of drought this morning, when it comes to your prayer, then maybe it's time to revisit your image of God. And there's nothing wrong with that. Because maybe drought in our prayer life is not a sickness after all, but a signal. Maybe if we're having trouble in our prayer life, it's not because there's something wrong with us. Maybe it is the Spirit's way of gently inviting us to consider the possibility that God is bigger than we thought. Maybe God is in fact larger than our preconceived notions, our manufactured boxes that we would want to wedge God into. And maybe, just like growth spurts happen when we are growing up, or when muscle fibers tear before they grow back stronger during our exercise, maybe it's okay to let ourselves think about God in a different way, 
to explore a different image of God that's different from any other that we might have carried along with us because then when our image of God changes, then maybe our prayer life can follow and maybe our prayer life can grow up too. Many years ago when I was in seminary, One of the ways that I would blow off some steam every week on Thursday nights after a long day of classes is that a partner and I would go down the hallway and play cards against a couple down the hall. Every Thursday night, we would play any of a number of card games you could think of, hearts, spades, euchre, and a particular game where partners would compete against each other, two teams of two, to trick more tricks than the other partner. We would, uh, we would play against this couple every Thursday night and we would get crushed by them. Because now would be a good time to tell you that this couple that we would play against was married for a very long time. Now think about that. Think about if you are married or if you have known someone for a very long time. At first, when you first meet that person, you want to get to know them. And so one of the ways you get to know that person is by using words, lots of words, spoken words, written words, texted words, sometimes awkwardly sung words. Because you don't know who they are, they don't know who you are, and you want to fully disclose your thoughts and your feelings. You want to get to know them and know what they are thinking and what they are feeling and about their personal history. And so you use words all the time. And as you get to know them and spend enough time with them, perhaps there comes a moment in your relationship where things get serious and you decide to commit to each other in a deeper way and so weeks become months and months become years and all of a sudden, when you're with that person for a very long time, you realize that your relationship with them has evolved. It's changed. It's a natural thing that happens over time in any relationship. It changes. And so does our communication with that person. Eventually, words don't become the only way to communicate with that person because you're now able to know their heart and their mind and anticipate their thoughts and know their feelings before they even utter it into words. You learn to, to read their gestures with their body. You know how to interpret their facial gestures. You can tell what they're saying before they even say it by the way they look, by the way they act, by the way they breathe, by the way they move. You can anticipate what they are thinking before They even say it. And that is what was going on playing cards against this couple. It was illegal to talk to your partner during this card game. And so this couple, having been married for so long, knew how to interpret a little flick of the nose a little sideways glance, 
little pursing of the lips, a little clearing of the throat. And they crushed us every game without using words, by communicating in a different way, because their relationship over time had evolved. Maybe that's the way it is with God. Maybe, like any relationship, our relationship with God is allowed to change over time. And maybe it should. Maybe that there are people in the sanctuary this morning where your stage in life is that you do need to imagine God personified with an actual face, with a physical presence in the room or up in heaven, and that's okay. But if you are in a period of drought in your prayer life right now, maybe this is the Spirit's way of coaxing you, gently nudging you to consider the possibility that God may be bigger or deeper or broader than any perceived notion you might have. Maybe it's possible that God can instead become present in all things not just localized in a single place. Maybe God can now be embedded in every moment in your life, not just during certain times. Maybe you can have an image of God in which God is closer to you than your own breath. Because after all, the Old Testament word for breath is in fact spirit. So that even as you inhale and exhale, you can recognize the presence of God that is in you and around you and among us. And if God becomes more of a presence in you and around you in every single moment, including this one, then maybe, maybe the use of words or even the lack of words is not what constitutes prayer. Maybe instead, what constitutes prayer is not words, but the attentiveness of our heart. Hmm. Maybe it means allowing every breath to become a prayer to God. Maybe it becomes recognizing that God can be present in every single moment of your life. Every time you chew a bit of food and savor its taste, every time you gasp with delight, every time you splash water on your face as you bathe, every time you sense your heartbeat or the heartbeat of another person, maybe each of those moments can become a moment of prayer, a moment of joy, a moment of deep and intimate connection to this God who has been in a relationship with you all along, but whose relationship now needs to grow and mature and flourish so that you can learn to sense the presence of God all around you in every single moment. Is it possible? Is it possible that prayer can become a whole life response to God's grace? Because if it is... If that is possible, then all of a sudden, it does become possible to pray 
constantly. Now, I'll admit to you that I am growing in my own prayer life, too. I'm not going to stand up here and tell you that I have this whole prayer thing figured out entirely. But I will tell you that I'm trying to allow my prayer life to grow. I still use words when I pray to God. And I suspect I always will. But I'll tell you that I've discovered that the words that I use are not the only important aspect to prayer. But the space between the words is also important. It's in those moments that I allow my heart to be recalibrated, to allow my soul to be opened, and my mind to be awakened, and my soul to get recentered on an awareness of God's presence, no matter what I'm doing in any moment of the day. So that whether I'm driving a car, or fixing supper, or washing the dishes, or helping the girls with their homework, or even when I'm standing in the pulpit preaching. Every moment, every breath, can be an opportunity to communicate to this God who's closer than I think. Prayer is not a magic incantation. It is not a chant that you perform to conjure the attention of the gods. It is not a lamp that you rub in order to get a genie to come out. It is not a vending machine that you pound in order to get what you want. Prayer is not something that we perform as much as it is a promise to conform, to align our hearts and our will, to put them in sync with God's mind and heart, so that we can hear from God exactly what we are called to be. Because in the end, you know what? Life really is a lot like a card game. You look down at your hand and you see the cards that you have been dealt with in your life. There's no exchanging them. There's no returning them. You've got what you've got. But then you look across the table at your divine partner and you realize that God's got a hand too. God's been dealt a lot of cards by this broken, messed up world and God's trying to figure out what to do with the hand that God's been dealt. And so maybe, maybe prayer is communication with our divine partner about what card to play next. Maybe it's communicating to our divine partner what cards we've got in our hand so that when God receives that message from us, God knows exactly what card to play next. Let's pray together. Gracious God, what a gift. What a... What a solemn but mysterious gift prayer is. We thank you for it. Thank you for giving us a way to communicate with you. 
while confessing to you that we're still figuring this out. Many of us, if not most of us in this sanctuary this morning or watching online, will acknowledge that we are in a period of drought in our prayers and we think we're doing something wrong. Free us from being too hard on ourselves. Help us to acknowledge and accept your grace, which simply invites us to consider you in a different way. Teach us how to talk to you. Teach us how to listen for you. But most importantly, teach us how to be in such a close relationship with you that communication becomes as natural as breathing. We thank you for your spirit who makes prayer possible. And I pray for anyone in the sanctuary this morning who is acknowledging at this moment that they would like to pray better. Give them the encouragement. Teach them to try new things. Show yourself to them in such a profoundly new way that when they experience you in the fullness of your grace and love, they'll know. They'll know how to talk to you. And they'll know how to listen. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.